Being a chef means keeping your cool in the kitchen. And with Resi Priority Notify and Global Dining Access through my Amex Platinum card, right this way, it's nice to try someone else's food for a change. That's the powerful backing of American Express. Terms apply. Learn more at americanexpress.com slash with Amex. Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Signing up and playing is so easy. Simply sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you can get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matter more than ever. Place your money line, prop, and parlay bets with the king of sports books today. Sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets. If you don't win your first bet. That's right, up to $1,500. Again, sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. 21 plus in President Ohio, subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER in partnership with MGM Northfield Park. That's 1-800-GAMBLER. Getting ready to take on spring? Make your first move with the reliable performance and power of steel battery tools. From hedge trimmers and mowers to string trimmers and more, right now you can save $50 on select battery tool sets. Real steel. Offer valid on select AK system sets through June 16, 2024. See participating retailer for details. When you buy Kroger brand products, you feel like you're winning. That's because they offer proven quality at lower than low prices. In fact, we guarantee that you and your family will love how Kroger brand products taste. Or you get your money back. So next time you're shopping for the family, look for delicious Kroger brand products. Because they'll make you all feel like you're winning. Shop now, in-store, or online. Kroger. Fresh for everyone. Welcome back to another episode of the Vertical Podcast with Chris Mannix. Got a good show for you this week. Two guests on this podcast. First up is Bobby Marks, the front office insider with the Vertical, former assistant general manager of the Brooklyn Nets. I talked to Bobby about the situations with Ben Simmons and Chris Bosh and get him to tell a few Kevin Garnett stories in the process. Next up is Anthony Slater with the San Jose Mercury News. Anthony covered Kevin Durant for several years in Oklahoma City. I get his thoughts on what he's seen from KD so far in a new situation. All right, let's go. Yahoo Sports presents the Vertical Podcast with Chris Mannix. Powered by digital media. Find your voice. And now, your host, Chris Mannix. Well, it's almost unbelievable with the Olympics being just kind of in our rearview mirror about a month ago, but NBA training camps are underway. Preseason games have gotten started. Most of the teams begin their preseason in earnest this week. We had Real Madrid pulling off the shocker against Oklahoma City on Monday. Uh, The Shanghai Sharks in Houston. A lot going on in the NBA. Talk more about that and much more. Bobby Marks, the front office insider for the Vertical. Uh, former assistant GM with the Brooklyn Nets for many years, and Bobby joins me here on the podcast. Bobby, I want to start with the the big news, the injury news, which was Ben Simmons, um, the uh, Sixers phenom, uh, expected to be the savior, in a move that can only be attributed to Philadelphia, where they've had so many, so much bad luck. Simmons has a foot injury, a broken foot, the fifth metatarsal in the foot. They're not telling us that much more 
about the injury right now, but you've had some experience with this, Bobby, right? You and when you were in Brooklyn, Brooke Lopez, how how comparable are are these two injuries? Well, unfortunately, I had a lot of experience of it, and and it started in New Jersey, and then it kind of had a, a carryover effect, and we got into Brooklyn, but. You know, Brooke is a little bit different just because of the size of him. Uh, you know, when he when he initially broke his foot in, in 2011 in a preseason game, it was a strike year against the Knicks. You know, he was about uh, 270. When he broke it again in Philly in 2013, he was playing at about 290, 295. So that's kind of where I saw the the weight that the, the weight attributed to him had an impact with him. What I would you know with the Simmons injury. You know, where he is weight-wise, uh, you know, I know he said he came in 33 pounds heavy, and I, and I don't, you know, I don't, I don't buy that. I think no, I don't either. At, 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 he's at a pretty good weight right now. Um, it's going to be what happens after the surgery as far as from a rehab standpoint and from a timetable. There's no rush to get him on the court. You know, Chris, it's a little bit different than when we were in New Jersey. You know, Brooke broke his foot, and he was, you know, he was a guy that was being dangled in the, in the um, Dwight Howard trade talks. And he came back in eight weeks, uh, wound up breaking that foot again in Charlotte, uh, right basically at the, I think, eight-and-a-half, nine-week mark. And I think when you're looking at it with Philly and Simmons, there's no rush to get him back. So if it's 12 weeks, if that's what we're, if we're going to put a timetable on him, then then that's you know you better be cautious with that and really you know pay pay your attention because what you don't want to do is get a rebreak of that foot because and then it really sets sets behind the eight ball. How scary as a general manager as an executive when when you hear foot injury now. You know, my comparison I've made is that the foot is like what the ACL used to be. It's as as almost terrifying as as what the ACL kind of once was. But how scary is it for an executive to hear your guy broke his foot? Well, it's it's almost similar to you know, like I guess a pitcher with with Tommy John yeah. surgery as far as and and I know pitchers kind of come back from that now with the technology this day and age. But you would almost rather have a player, you know, you know, God forbid, you know, blow out an ACL just because. Because of the fit, foot issue, you know, we had Damian James in in, um, in New Jersey, and he was one of the first guys that I've, I've had seen re-break his foot twice. The screw broke in his foot the, the second time, had to go back in there, and, and the, he, you know, he was never, never the same. And with Brooke, you know, he basically, you know, took three or four tries, and you know, he's been healthy since he missing that 13-14 season. But we, they basically had to put a new foot on him, you know, and and it and it took a while, and it, and it to kind of to get it right and everything, and that's why. When I look at what Simmons, you know, you've got, um, you know, your track history in, in Philly with uh, Embiid, you know, I, and I didn't even realize this is the third year in a row, I guess, or or third, um, what did they say, lottery pick that has missed, you know, a, a portion of the season. You had Noel, Embiid, um, yep. you know, Simmons now in, in, in Philadelphia. But the, the foot is a scary thing just because it, it is more common now. But I think you're going to be all – basically probably more cautious than allowing, you know, if it's an eight-week timetable, then you're probably looking at more closer to, to, to 12 weeks. If you were, were part of that organization, would there be a cutoff date for you where you just say, you know what, let's just, you know, bench him this entire year? Because the, the Sam Hankey regime was extremely cautious when it came to their guys, justifiably so. I mean, you know, MB broke his foot twice uh, with that team. But is there... I mean, do you get to a certain point where you do say with a player like that, let's just scrub the season, or is is it something different? 
No, I think you can still, I mean, because, you know, the, the season is so long. So if you're looking at, if you, if you do 12 weeks and you, let's say he had the surgery next week, you're looking at probably, you know, sometime in, I guess, I guess January to get him back. Uh, maybe before the All-Star break, you'll still have probably about 30 games. You know, eventually you're going to have to put him on the floor. If, it, if it's not during the regular season, it's going to be, you know, probably probably summer league, and I, I don't I don't think it matters where the Sixers are kind of in, in the standings. We all predict them probably to finish in the, towards the bottom of uh, of the standings, them not being in a, in a playoff race when we get into you know a close to the All Star break. So, you know, I think it's a lot of it's going to depend on where he is from a rehab standpoint. If there's any setbacks during that, we do, you do have to monitor his weight to make sure he does not come back heavy um, because that will be a big that will be a big thing to look at because it, it's a lot easier for guards to come back from, from a foot break, you know, just because of the size of them. Um, you know, we saw Durant have a setback, you know, a couple of years ago with, with him and everything. And, and, you know, and just for Philadelphia, you know, he's their prized asset. You know, he is their number one pick. He's a huge building block. And, you know, the timetable, as, as I've mentioned, you, you really have to be cautious with it. What kind of hit did you get off him watching him play in Summer League. I mean, I know it's Summer League, and, and you, you get away with so much crappy passing in Summer League than really anywhere else uh, that you're playing at that level. But when you watched him play, did you get that kind of, you know, wow, this kid could be special feel or something else? No, I did. And I know, you know, Summer League, you never, you never want to kind of peg a guy. And I think a lot of it was somewhat of a carryover effect. A lot from... You know how he started his career in, at LSU, and I know it kind of it didn't end on a on a good note down there and everything. So I just love you know, and I've and I said it. You know, we did our shows and everything. I just love guys who play so many different positions, mm-hmm. and he can do that. If you want him to bring the ball up, you you can do that. If you can, you want him to play four, if you want to go small, maybe even put him at the five. You could you could you know roll out a lineup like that. So I I saw a lot of good things in in Vegas. You know during. Um, you know, during the summer that I saw the first few weeks at, at, at LSU, and and I would uh, you know expect that you know a carryover. You know, we're just not going to see it in you know October. We're going to probably have to wait till sometime in middle of the winter. Now, one more question for you about the Sixers, uh, Nerlens Noel. I, I feel like he's you know a month and a half away of going straight George Costanza in the parking lot. You know, basically <laughs> demanding a trade uh, in, in that way. But let's say you know we, we've talked about Okafor a lot, but. We'll, what if Noel was on the market? What if Philadelphia said, "What's your best offer him?" I mean, what, what's his value right now across the league? Well, he, you know, he's going into fourth year. He's extension eligible up to the thirty first. So if if you if you if you, I, mean, I don't think he'll you, you know he'll be able to be moved before that. But he's you know kind of gone on the upside ever since missing his, his first year. You know, we see now with you know Bayless and Rodriguez down there. Now you've got you know you know uh, a you know point guard instead of what you had the last couple of years in in Philly and everything. The hard thing with Philly as far as from from moving him is and I related to you know to baseball is that you can never have too much you know starting pitching and with the bigs there I don't know why you would want to be you're in a in a rush to kind of move some of these guys. You don't know what you're going to get with Embiid and I know uh he'll start you know the preseason games this week. You've got Simmons out you know, Sarge has kind of nicked up a little bit. I think his back has been acting up and everything. So, if if I'm Philadelphia, I would I would hold on to him. Uh, you know, if something maybe towards the deadline comes about, then then you know go ahead and do it. But just based on how that roster is, and we all thought that you know they'd have too many bigs right now, and now you're starting to see guys kind of you know one by one kind of you know from from an injury standpoint. Plus, I would think that if you're going to trade one of them, 
and you do think Embiid is that franchise center and you got to trade either Noel or Okafor, I would think Okafor would be the, the wiser move to piece to move just because I don't really believe that Embiid and Okafor can play together. Just that, And they haven't yet, and I'm just basing that on you know just pure uh, kind of size and, and skill set, but you're talking about two guys that are, are pure centers, whereas a guy like Noel is more of the power forward type. He is, he, and he's a, he reminds me a little bit of Kenyon Martin, a little bit bigger yeah. in, in size, I want to say, in height. Um, Not quite as mean. But, but he's that, you know, that high wire, you can just kind of throw it, throw it up there, let him catch it and everything, where kind of Okafor is kind of that prodder. You know, he's a little bit of a slower foot. Um, you know, so does him. And if, if Embiid can stay healthy, the, do those two kind of duplicate each other? And I think they do. Yeah, yeah, I'm with you there. All right, Chris Bosh. Uh, down in Miami, it, it sounds like the Heat believe that Bosch's career is, is over. Um, they at least think that his career in Miami is over. Educate me here on on, on what you think the landscape's going to look like for Bosch. Let's say, for example, he can find his way out uh, of his Miami contract. Is there a team in the league that, that would touch him, that would clear him to play? I don't think there is, and I think it's a little bit different than, and I, I don't think it's as easy as saying if, you know, if Miami and, and the league doctors determine that he's got a career-ending injury and he gets waived, you know, sometime in February, March, that a team can just kind of come up and pick him up and their doctor can can pass him on a physical. I think the league will get involved in this. Um, I think they'll have some some say as far as from a from a medical standpoint. I don't think it's cut and dry just based on how much money would be, would come back on the Heat's, um, you know, on their salary cap because if he plays in 25 more games. Um, you know that that's what will happen. I, I could see this this situation dragging out a little bit. I don't I don't think we'll get any resolution to it until probably February, uh, March, possibly. You know his his uh, you know February ninth is the anniversary date of his last game. That's the first time that Miami can I guess um, you know wave him and have the money come off. And if if I'm Miami and, and and if you've got a good feeling and you've consulted with the league doctors and that. It is deemed to be, um, you know, career-ending, and you do have that little bit of apprehension that, you know, does it does he come back in a year or two from now? What I'm going to do is I'm going I'm going to wait until after March 1st, and then I'm going to waive him because then he would be playoff he wouldn't be playoff eligible, and then I would, you know, then it would be less than 25 games, so there would be no chance for his money to come back on your on your books when it comes to July 1 in, in the new cap year. So. If I'm Miami, and I, and, I, and I know it sounds harsh and it's just the, the tough side of the business and everything, there is no rush to do so, and that's kind of the steps I'm looking at. Well, there's a perception, too, out there that Miami just wants to get Bosch's money back. Now, that may be true in, in, in these circumstances, but I think Miami, more than anything, would want Bosch to play. Like, you know, Pat Riley doesn't do, he doesn't do rebuilding very well. I mean, the guy just likes to retool and not rebuild. So if there was any way that they could safely bring Chris Bosch back, I think Miami would would do it or would want to do it. I, I you know, I it scares me to hear Chris Bosch say things like, Well, if you're a doctor and you say I can't play, I have the right to disagree with you. Well well no, not not really. That's not that's not how it should work in circumstances like this. I mean I know it's it's a dramatic example, but I, I, I grew up in Boston where Reggie Lewis went doctor shopping uh, back in the mid-1990s. He had a whole dream team of doctors that said, Reggie, you can't play basketball anymore. Then he had one doctor that said he could and he was dead, you know, shortly thereafter. I I, I just don't know if Chris Bosch is thinking, is in the right frame of mind as he's thinking about this. Well, I would understand it from a Bosch perspective if this was the first time and it was, you know, 2000, um, you know, I guess it was 2015 when, the, when he first got diagnosed in, in Miami that summer, you know, said, hey, we, we think he's done, you know, this is it and everything. I could understand there. 
but we're going, uh, you know, this is a second go at it, you know, with the same type of, you know, situation here. And, and yeah, you're right. I mean, you didn't sign Hassan Whiteside to rebuild or, nope. or, or trade two future first rounds for Goran Dragic. And I know, you know, Wade left and you kind of signed one-year guys and everything. But, you know, if you had Bosch, you would still be, you know, you would certainly be a playoff team and everything. So I certainly understand it from the Heat's perspective. They, they have to protect what's the best interest of, of the team. And this is, you know, they don't want to go through another, you know, situation like, you know, the, the past two all-star breaks. And you've got to, besides what you're looking at for the team, you also have to look at what's best for the player. And, and I know, you know, you're, you're an athlete. You don't want to ever hear that, it, you know, your time is, is, is nearing and everything and that your career is about to close. But, you know, you know for Chris, the best thing, he's, he's going to get his money. It's guaranteed no matter what. He's got a couple championships under his ring that you maybe just let it play out a little bit here and, you know, and, and see where it goes. But I, I don't see him being, you know, being back on a court. I don't see a doctor that would ever clear him. Now, I mean, how does that work? I mean, with team doctors or individuals, right? There's not a, a, a league-wide kind of team doctor that would oversee something like this. Each team has their own doctor. Each team makes their own medical decisions, right? They do. Yeah, it's, it's, it's uh, every team has to, you know, players go through a physical based on your contract. But I think with this situation, it, it, because it's such a magnitude, I think the league would certainly step in here and really it wouldn't be cut dry if, if Team A, you know, deems him, you know, being able to, to pass a physical and everything. I think, I think the league doctors would certainly get involved. You know, I agree with, with much of what Pat Riley has done over the last, you know, couple of months in terms of uh, the right thing to do both for, you know, a player's health and the franchise in the case of Wade, but it hasn't really been a great week for a great couple of months for the communication part of Pat Riley's job. You know, the way it kind of went down with Dwayne Wade and the lack of communication there, Bosch coming out and saying that, you know, nobody even contacted me, there was nothing. And then you hear the, this talk from the other side about how there was a message left for his agent. Thing. It can't be that hard to get a hold of a player. Uh, if, you're, if you're Pat Riley, it can't be that hard to get a hold of your player. Well, you know, you're right, and I think we've seen, you know, with Wade this summer and now, now Bosch, it, you know, it didn't end well. And I think, I, you know, it looks like unless you're the Tim Duncans of the world and the Dirk Nowitzkis of the world, you know, it never ends well for any player leaving. You know, we saw with, with Durant this summer, and, you know, I saw it in Jersey with, um, you know, when Jason got traded to, you know, Dallas, he was kind of like the villain and everything, and, and that you know when you when you cut bait with a player, um, it, there are certain ways to, to do things, and you know every team has its own way of of, of dealing with it. Um, but you're right, you know, the, from a communication standpoint, it, it wasn't handled in the best way. No, it wasn't. Now, in terms of of uh, of distraction stories, what's going on in New York right now is I don't know if it's a distraction yet with the new players there with Derrick Rose and his legal entanglements and and now Joakim Noah with the stuff going on. The Joakim Noah stuff I'm not all that, you know, concerned about just because they're leaving West Point and yeah, you know, that that's that's kind of a one or or a two day story. But I wonder, Bobby, does the does the Derrick Rose stuff linger? You know, I there's a report out that he's not gonna have to be uh, at the uh the first day of his trial. He can play in the first preseason game. But when something like that is going on with your player, how big an issue is it for your team? Well, it's it's going to linger. I mean, if we get to the regular season, in this case, this case is still pending and still going. I mean, I don't know how it cannot weigh on a player's mind. I know players are mentally tough, but you know, for something like this, it this is a this is a tough a tough go at it. And it, you know, we're going to you know this. I guess this uh, the trial starts on Tuesday, and, and we're going to hear a lot of 
besides what we've seen snippets of, um, you know, some of the testimony and everything. And it, and it could get ugly if, there, if there's no, no settlement. You know, none of us know we're there, what, what happened and everything. We're, we're basically just reading off it. But, you know, you've got, you know, four weeks till, you know, you know to the regular season starts. And I would think this certainly would weigh on, on for, for Derrick Rose here and everything. So it, it's not quite a distraction yet, but I think when we, you know, as it builds and if there's nothing resolved within the next 10 days, I think we're going to get to a, uh, an, an all-new level here, especially you're in New York. It's, you know, you've seen that, the, you know, from a tabloid standpoint, um, it's going to be a you know, big story, probably back page of the, of the news every, uh, every day and everything, as long as this trial goes and everything. And, um, and it, is, it could be. And with Noah, I'm more concerned about, I guess it's his um, hamstring that he's, you know, he's out right now yep. with and, you know, coming off an injury again. I know it's different than what he was out for, but I always say once you kind of get a couple chinks in that armor, you, you kind of overcompensate for another part of your body, and, and how long will that kind of you know, linger there? Well, especially going back to Rose for a second, the, uh, with him, the distraction on him is something I'd be worried about just because he's got to learn what is an incredibly complicated offense, and, and no matter what Phil Jackson says it is, because everybody goes in there and nobody really knows exactly how to properly run the triangle. Unless Phil Jackson has coached that team that they're on, it's difficult for players to come in and learn that system. And as a point guard, Rose is being asked to do things he's probably done very little of uh, for most of his uh, his playing career. And I, first, I want to ask you about the the fact that they're even doing the triangle out in in New York. You've got Jeff Hornacek, whose offenses in Phoenix could, I, I guess, charitably be described as Mike D'Antoni light in some ways. It was up-tempo, eight or nine seconds or less within that offense. Now you come here, and you're, you're, you're Phil Jackson thrusting a, a triangle system onto a head coach. I mean, just my opinion, Bobby, I, I think a coach should, should run whatever system he wants and, and, and do it with, with, with gusto and with the enthusiasm about that offense. I don't know if you can just you know, kind of demand a coach runs a system, especially when a coach has never run that system before. Well, and that was the million-dollar question we all wanted to see how, what would happen once Hornacek was hired, and as far as what the, what kind of system he would run. And my my only question with what's going on from from a coaching standpoint in New York is is that you know when when Phil took over, he uh, you hired a you know a guy who had never coached before with Derek Fisher, and you were very hands off with him. You know to the point where basically it almost cost it, it cost him his job because. Because of that, from that perspective and everything. And now you've got a guy who's been in the league for, you know, he was in Phoenix for, for three years. He was an assistant coach, you know, in Utah and everything. And, and now you are, you know, you're like two feet in the deep end with him and as far as, you know, involved, as far as basically kind of, you know, in, you know on the court kind of, uh, you know, you know, from that perspective. So that that's my confusing point is where this is a time where you kind of, you, you have somewhat, and I won't say a veteran coach with, with, with Jeff there, but someone who has experience where let him run his system. If you're going to use maybe part of the triangle to get your offense going or, or if, if your offense breaks down, then, then, then that's fine. But to go in this summer, you kind of revamped your lineup with, you know, Lee and Noah, um, and you know you got Carmelo, Carmelo, and, and Porzingis back, and to kind of you know, did these free agents? It was this the idea when you went out and spent all this money on free agency that you were going to run a you know a triangle? Do they do you actually know if they actually fit before you're actually going to do it? So that, that's the kind of confusing point right there. Yeah, there's just a bad vibe right now about what could what we might see on the floor. A lot of confusion, a lot of disconnect, and the reality is you you know I think a, a kind of a free flowing offense 
and playing to the strengths of each player is is the best way to go. I mean, you you want to put Porzingis, in my opinion anyway, in the same positions you put Dirk Nowitzki in back in the day. You want to post up Carmelo. You want to play Derrick Rose uh, in screen and roll type of situations. Each one of these guys and their teams, these teams, they still have pretty good to you know borderline great individual strengths. I, I just wonder... You know the triangle is is supposed to be you know helpful for passing the ball and moving around, making sure everybody gets their touches. But is that playing to the strengths of this team? Well, in in the one thing you don't want to re, re, um, go back to is you know on, from an offensive standpoint is a, a possession where you're getting a low shot clock and then basically you're going to rely on Carmelo to bail you out. I mean, I could see that happening a lot with mm-hmm. this with this group if if Rose can't get this offense you know from an early off, offense standpoint. So. That's going to be the interesting point. That's why I thought maybe they'd run a little bit more. You know, you've got, you know, with, with Porzingis, you can, you know, get up and down the, down the court. You know, Lee can still, you know, get up there and everything. So it will be interesting. I know they're in, they're in Houston this week. That's kind of their, their first test to see what, what kind of offense. It's hard with preseason to kind of get a, a true identity, but you could probably get a, a good idea of, of how this team is going to start forming here. All right, before I let you go, i got to ask you about uh, something you wrote for the Vertical last week in the aftermath of uh, Kevin Garnett's retirement, and that was how Garnett was the only, and I'm, I'm not sure I'm saying this right, the only player that ever intimidated you? Is that is that fair to say? Uh, that's true. <laughs> in what way? Is, you know, it's funny, we, you know, and I've dealt with, you know, with being with the Nets for so long, and we had so many different cast of characters, you know, from... You know, Derek Coleman and Kenyon, and I mean, I had, you know, I had Xavier, I mean, a lot of people don't remember the X-Man, Xavier McDaniel, on how hard-nosed he was, and and uh, Rick Mahorn, you know, another guy and everything, so I've had my tough guys and everything, but there was something about, and you saw him up, you had him in Boston for yep. so long, and there was just something about him, and, and Paul was a little bit the same, but, you know, he wasn't as that, you know, that, that, that intimidating fact. You could have a conversation with Paul, but with KG, he had that, he wore that intense you know, um, you know, description on his face, you know, when he got to the building and when he left the building. And, and I would always laugh because I would always wait for him to leave the building before I can go down and get my lunch and everything because I didn't want him yelling at me that I was in the cafeteria where the players were and everything. So it was, um, but he brought so much to the group. And it was a shame because I think a lot of us, you know, in Brooklyn didn't get to see the player that, um, you know, that, you know, that he was in, in Boston and in Minnesota. We saw maybe a little bit of, you know, a little bit of it. Um, but he was at a point of his career where, you know, it was hard for him to play back-to-backs and everything, but he practiced so hard. You basically had to, you had to drag him off the court, and he, had, he was already there before we even got going, two hours before. But what he did with Mason and, and Brooke for that little bit of time, you, you, you know, it was that lasting, um, you know, that lasting imprint and everything. But, but he was tough, man. And for the rookies out there that we had, you know, had on the team, he was so demanding of them, but in a, but in a fair way. Um, but he is probably you know the, the most intense player I've ever seen. Now, I remember uh, when that team was first put together. I had to write kind of this TikTok story for for Sports Illustrated about how the whole thing kind of came together. And KG was the one guy that I just couldn't get to. Like he was just not interested at all in, in having that that kind of specific, basically ten minute conversation just to kind of get him to confirm or follow up on on information I'd received. Uh, from other people, but one thing I knew about KG, and I didn't write this, but it's it's a story that I that sticks in my mind that he was a huge fan of Boardwalk Empire, huge fan, loved it, and through boxing, I had a connection with HBO, 
and I would routinely receive like screener copies of all these, um, you know, all, all these uh, these new shows as they come out. The whole season, basically, when it actually uh, came out. So I, you know, in in it was that was like September. Boardwalk Empire was coming out that week. I remember being at Duke where you guys at that mm-hmm. time were training. And basically walking up to KG with like 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 a like a kid with like candy in his hand, like looking at him, going like I've got these screeners, KG, I've got them on me, and he's like, oh cool man. He goes, what's it gonna cost you? I'm like, can I walk out the door with you? Basically, <laughs> and he let me walk out the door with him, and uh, and uh, in the aftermath of that, even the last couple of years, I hooked him up with. Um, uh, those screener things uh, as well. But that was the one time I had to like basically bribe him for five minutes, like alone, walking alone and away with him. Well, even when we did the deal in, uh, in, in June, right before, I guess it was the day of the draft or night of the draft and everything, just to get his, you know, just because he had a no trade clause in his contract to get him to waive it was, it was such an or, or, you know, process and ordeal that, you know, basically we had the Paul uh, was basically the middleman through it all that had to really walk him through and, and get him to kind of sign off on it. And, you know, even though we had agreed to a deal, I think in the middle of the day, um, the day of the draft, I mean, it didn't, he didn't, you know, waive his no trade until probably like 1030 that night. So just to get to him was so hard and to have him really fully understand what, what was going to happen. And even when, you know, we traded him back to Minnesota in, in February of, of 15, when we got Thaddeus in, in Brooklyn and, that wasn't even a slam dunk either, uh, even though he would return back home uh, home to the Timberwolves and really had to just walk him through. And I, I remember getting the paperwork because he, he still had that no-trade clause to the league at, like, 250 and, you know, getting the trade approved at, like, 258 and everything. So, um, But it's interesting what, what his next step will be. We, we saw him out with the Clippers as far as, you know, what, does he want to, you know, get into that coaching, um, you know, mindset or, and, and get on the floor and everything because I think he'd be perfect. I think he would too, um, and not maybe as a head coach. I mean, I don't know if I see him as a head coach at this point. I'm not sure if I see him on TV either, which I've heard he's he's kind of interested in. But um, an assistant coach, like a development coach, like I mean, think of what you could learn from him. Just the practices. The guy was as a rep is this unbelievable practice player. Well, you're right, and I think you're, it's just the work ethic. You know, if you if you walk into a gym and he's working out with. You know, if he's with Blake Griffin or, or DeAndre Jordan or, you know, players like that, just to kind of imagine if you're a rookie coming into the yeah. league, if you're, especially if you're a big that, you know, just got drafted in, in the first round and the Clippers, you know, with you know, Bryce Johnson out there to, to come in and see that, you know, that work ethic and his, you know, just kind of the little things that you can probably pick up from him. We saw what, what he did with Mason in, 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 um, in Brooklyn and everything, but that would, be, that would be something really, really neat to see, especially, it's, it's, and you know, it's hard when, you retire and you and you hang it up as far as what your next step is, and we see a lot of these athletes kind of really you know struggle with it for for a long time. It you've done it for so long that what's what's your next step? Is it going to be in you know is it going to be in broadcasting or go work for a team and everything? And, and trying to figure out what you want to do is not easy. Bobby, I appreciate it, man. I'm sure we'll be talking uh, a lot in the uh, coming weeks, but uh, thanks for dropping by. Thanks, Chris. You're listening to the Vertical Podcast with Chris Mannix. Peter King here, reminding you to subscribe and listen to all new and archived episodes of the MMQB Podcast with Peter King, as well as the MMQB Podcast with Albert Breer and the 10 Things MMQB Podcast. 
Well, the number one story in basketball, and I think this is going to be the number one story for most of this season, is out in Golden State where the Warriors, fresh off a second consecutive finals appearance, have reloaded and added one Kevin Durant to the mix. And of course, uh, as every reporter who covers a superstar knows, when the superstar leaves, you go with them. And that's what Anthony Slater did. He left the, uh, the Oklahoma area and trailed Kevin Durant out to the Bay Area to work out there. Right, Anthony? Is that what, what happened for you? Hey, yeah, but there wasn't quite as much, you know, media coverage. I was expecting, you know, Mannix text messages asking about my <laughs> free agency meetings. And uh, I, I just, I couldn't understand why, you know, it didn't cause as much as stir. You should have done, remember what Scalabrini did in Boston when he was coming home? Uh, he, he sort of mimicked what LeBron did. In, 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 the Photoshop. In the Photoshop. You should, yeah. have done, you should have done everything that Durant did, like write your own personal well, message on Players' Tribune. Well, you know, it's funny you say that. Um, that was actually done not by me. Um, I, I think it was a blog uh, Photoshop my head on Durant's. Uh, it was a photo that he used on the Players' Tribune where he was like kind of – it looked like he was in like a cornfield or something. And he was like looking up and it said, uh, <laughs> my next chapter. Somebody Photoshopped my face on that. And then Ennis Canner actually tweeted it out and said, wow, another traitor. And it actually – it did become kind of a little funny story uh, in the aftermath of nice, that. Nice, nice. Well, Anthony Slater now working for the San Jose Mercury News, the Bay Area News Group out in uh, in the Oakland area. All right, so so the last two weeks or so, as, as camps have, have begun and you've seen Durant kind of full-time around his new teammates, I mean, what, what have you observed about just, you know, whether it's demeanor, body language, how comfortable do you think Kevin Durant is right now in this situation? You know, I think he's ha- I think he's happy. He said it the pregame. I mean, I don't. It wasn't a direct shot at the Thunder in pregame the other day before their opener, preseason opener in Vancouver. But he was talking about how happy he, he was playing and how you know these guys have fun. It's not you know they work hard, but it's like they don't take uh, the business or, or our life too serious because it shouldn't be taken serious because it is basketball. And it almost. I mean, you you know as well as I do, just kind of. Uh, the serious environment that Sam Presti kind of cultivates around the Thunder. And, you know, I think it's helped them in a lot of ways. Um, you know, it's kind of that Spurs mold. But around here, it's different. You can hear the music blaring, uh, you know, from practice when you're outside the facility. And he just, he seems a little refreshed with everything. He kind of, you know, he just kind of looks crisp in the colors. And, you know, last year, you know, I, I think I was talking on your radio show the other day, but, you know, I, I'm looking across the court and it's him and Dion Waiters going through shooting drills and now I'm looking in at him and Clay Thompson and like they're just there's just like a really serious nature to the way Clay does his shooting drills and it just seems to have maybe ramped up Kevin even more uh, and just watching them splash through you know 20 straight it's almost like they're trying to one up each other during practice and uh, you know it, it just it seems like he's in somewhat of a better place right now than maybe he was mentally at times last year. All right, so you see the way that they're they're trying to play uh, or tried to play in their their first exhibition game. Was there any anything you can take away from watching that about what we might see and what kind of role that Durant is going to have kind of with this team? Any positions on the floor you were able to observe that where that Steve Kerr is going to try to play him? You know, I mean, there was there was times where he came and got the ball, and you could tell. I think Kerr like kind of wanted him, hey, you know, initiate the offense a little bit to to get him uh, more comfortable, knowing that you know he's not just going to be some some side piece that that's for spacing. They did a couple pin down plays for him, but you know what? Look, it's been one preseason game, and and you know how you yeah. Know, short, small a sample size that really is. But Clay Thompson got up eleven threes in nineteen minutes. 
Um, you know, more threes. I think Curry and Durant combined for about five in that same time frame. So I think Clay Thompson, at least early on, looks like he's the guy that, you know, he had a lot of space because um, just the, the way they were playing Durant. It's going to be interesting to kind of navigate as this goes. His shot was off the other night. Kevin's was. But they were kept telling him to be aggressive. I think he went two and nine shooting. He had a dunk. He hit a three. He's going to get his shots up. But um, I, I think it's still wait and see on how this formulates. Because you got to remember, uh, it, you know, Steve Kerr called this schedule kind of bizarre. But they only had three or four days of practice before their first preseason game. Um, they have about an eight day period coming up with no preseason games. And they've already kind of said that'll be training camp. That's when the offense will get installed. Yeah. And I've always felt that, that Draymond Green was going to be the guy that, that had to sacrifice the most in that team because, uh, you know, the ball moves around really well in this offense. And all these guys are, you know, Curry Thompson, Kerr, uh, Kerr. Well, Curry is too actually a great three point shooter, but he's not on the floor. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> Curry Thompson, Steph, and, uh, and Kevin Durant. Are, are are great perimeter shooters, so you know they get the ball open space. They're taking that shot. Green, oftentimes it, it seems like has to work a little bit harder to to get his offense. He can shoot the three, but that's not what he's kind of known for out there on the floor. I mean, how has he handled uh, both what you've seen on the floor and off it? Kind of this the, the changes there. Well, he's handled it really well as far as talking to us, and you know, you know, he was probably maybe the biggest part of of the pitch to Kevin Durant, you know, he's gone on Conan O'Brien show and saying he was like a, he was like an ex-girlfriend who was obsessed. You know, he kept texting Kevin Durant, Hey, are you coming? Are you coming to the Warriors? So I think he's handled it well to this point, but I think you're right in the sense of he's the guy I think we need to monitor most this season, because what's all, what's kind of been his thing the last few years. It's, it's being able to say he's the, he's a big man that can rip it off the glass. He can run the fast break. He can pass, he can play make, he can guard every position, even though he's kind of, you know, he's undersized. Well, Kevin Durant comes in and he kind of does all that. He can rebound really well. He can initiate the offense right off the rebound. He can guard one through five, maybe not as well as Draymond, but, you know, he's, he's just as versatile. So, like, that kind of overlaps Draymond's skills at times. And You know, are there times this season where maybe Livingston's playing well and they, they're not going to play Draymond Green as a small ball center? Maybe they'll go Durant as a small ball center and play like a Livingston, Curry, uh, Thompson, Iguodala, Durant-type front line. It, will Draymond Green be okay with that, not getting maybe as many rebounds and as, as chances, maybe sitting on the bench late in games in, in rare moments? Um, and we also know that he's probably the most volatile of all these personalities. So I agree with you, maybe he's the, he's the guy to watch the most. It sounds to me, though, that they're not going to, no matter how they start this season, they're not going to go for any kind of record. Like They're not going to try to break whatever happened, it, happened last year. It, it's like taboo to even say 74 around them. They like, you know, except for Clay. Clay's like, you know what? You know, if, if we're on 73 in the last week, why not win? But um, everyone else is like, we don't even want to do it. Um, I think, I mean. Like, wouldn't the best thing, last, wouldn't the best thing to happen to this team would be like to lose like, you know, four out of 12 or uh, the first 12, be like eight and four Not to start early. The because because then I think that brings a swarm of it's not working. I mean, you remember you remember yeah. LeBron's first year in Cleveland, and you know he's bumping Spolstra, and people act like you know it's like World War Three down there. Uh, so I think I think how if they could plan out their season, I think it would be they come out really hot, and Durant comes out really hot, and kind of makes a statement that like, look, you know, I know I came to a new team, but I'm not riding coattails. I'm having a big season, that, and then maybe they they burst out to like 19 and five or something like that not the 24-0 they had last year, then maybe they start, you know, pulling back minutes on guys and maybe have a, have a little lull in the middle of the season. So it's pretty clear that, you know, they can get the one seed, but they're not even going to touch 73-74, and then they can kind of cruise to the finish line. Are we entering the, the time of when 
Kevin Durant and Russell Westbrook are just going to be weird around each other? Like, are they just uh, are they just never going to be? I don't know. You you know better than I would what they actually were yeah, yeah, in yeah, Oklahoma yeah. City. But are, are, is 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 this going to be kind of a manifestation of everything that everyone thought about them? You know, moving forward, yeah. that they don't like each other. Well, it's going to be a Kobe Shaq type, you know, remember yeah. I think it was like Christmas in 05 or something where like that whole thing pregame is like, are they even going to like hit knuckles with each other? And they almost like didn't really acknowledge each other. That'll be the story for the first Thunder uh, Warriors game and kind of moving forward. They were, but look, that's the weird thing in this whole process because like, you know, they were always next to each other, home or road in the locker room. They're always joking with each other. They weren't best friends. Uh, nobody, nobody, I don't think was saying that, but, there was a high level of respect for each other. And I've been pretty shocked the way Kevin kind of left and, uh, you know, didn't, you know, there's stories of him. He hasn't called, he only texts Russell. So, um, but you know, that's just kind of what I think it's going to linger in the future. Cause when we don't talk about, when we talk about like the Lakers of those early years, we, you know, you don't talk about like Robert Ori and this and that it's always Kobe Shaq, Kobe Shaq. So I think when we talk about the Thunder era, it's going to be Russ and Kevin, um, I would assume, though, down the road they'll kind of reconcile. I wouldn't be surprised if we saw it. You remember that Magic uh, documentary that just came out where it's like oh, Jack yeah. and Penny, Penny Hardaway and they're like sitting by the pool reminiscing about what could have been and what was? Uh, I wouldn't be surprised if down the road there's like a Kevin Russell type uh, sit down or whatever. But for the foreseeable future of this season, it's going to be awkward. I, I would watch that. I would watch that, especially if both of them kind of yeah, open up. So. If they open up about what was real and, and what was not. Because, look, I, I, I tend to agree with you on, on the, the the nature of their friendship. I, I did think, and, and just based on who I talked to there, that the the the, the on-court relationship was maybe even more friction than, than was was kind of out there. That the, the quick shots did bother Kevin a lot more than then he kind of let on, but you know, I mean, nothing overly dramatic, I guess. Yeah, well, I, I think uh, some of Kevin's people were getting in the air about it a little bit too. Yeah. Um, but you know, who who publicly backed Russell more than anyone in the last eight years? Sure, when, Kevin Durant. When, when Mark when Mark Cuban just what three months ago said, uh, you know, Russell Westbrook's not a superstar. <laughs> he was in a press conference like stopping Russell Westbrook from saying something so he could call Mark Cuban an idiot. I mean, like Kevin Durant more than anyone has, like I said, gone to his defense. So that, I, I mean, and that was authentic. That that never, to me at least, came off as, uh, you know, just trying to, like, throw that out there so people stop talking about it. I think I think part of the reason Kevin didn't, I didn't like, maybe reach out to Russell was because, like, he knew how much it would sting Russell. And, like, I, it's funny. I think when you talk to him about the Thunder now, um, he he's pretty settled with everything and, and leaving and where he is. But I think when the subject of Russell Westbrook comes up, he almost kind of cringes at the thought of like, oh man, what is Russell even thinking about me right now? I, I think that bothers him. I think it will continue to bother him until really he reconciles it. Like, I don't know how he's going to do it. Is he going to make a call to him at some point or I don't know how it's going to go. Do you think that it surprised him when Westbrook did what he did with his contract and you know just added that extra year? Um, I think until he probably did what we all did, which was look at why Russ yeah. did it, which, you know, he's scooping up an extra $9 million that wouldn't. You know, the funny thing is, Kevin Durant got Russell Westbrook an extra, what, $8, 9000000 because that wouldn't have been there if, if Kevin came back nope. for this season. So I think he was probably, I don't know, surprised or a little bit uh, tick. I know, like, some of the people around Durant were kind of laughing off the way that the Thunder kind of uh, portrayed it as, like, 
he's coming, but the loyal son is coming back. And they had, you know, they kind of rolled out the, the red carpet for him for that press conference. And it was a huge day for the franchise and in, in, in history, but he really only just added one more season and got an extra 9 million to do it. Um, so I think Kev, I wasn't there, but I think Kevin had a quote in Rio because he was in Rio at the time. And he was saying, I just hope I'm happy for Russell, but I, I just hope he didn't get pressured into it. That was kind of, you know, that, you could raise an eyebrow yeah. at that quote. Yeah, that, I remember reading that uh, at that time as well. All right, so with Golden State, though, the, the question marks are so few. But one, it is that second unit. They had to, to revamp uh, part of the roster anyway to, to make the room to sign Kevin Durant. Some of the bigs went out. You got Zaza Pachulia, David West coming in. I mean, how big a concern is that second unit? I guess I say that kind of with the caveat that when you can put an MVP on the second unit at any point in yeah. time, it's it's less a concern than other people's second units. Yeah, I mean, what you said right there, I think, is like kind of an astute point as far as, I mean, we saw it in the first preseason game. Kerr plucked out Durant about six minutes in, and then about four minutes later, he reinserted him with all second unit players, and then you're looking at a, at a bench unit that was a Livingston, Iguodala, West, Durant, and uh, I think Ian Clark. And, you know, it might be McCaw. I, I will say I'm, I've been – and the players around have been really impressed with Patrick McCaw. Everybody loves rookie. Patrick McCaw. You see him yeah. at Summer League. He was awesome. Everyone was talking about Patrick McCaw. He, he was really good the other night. He had five steals, four steals in the fourth. He had three assists, and he was doing it, like, with, like, Kyle Lowry around him. And, you know, like the, the – anyway, I don't want to get too deep into Patrick McCaw's <laughs> one preseason game into his career. But the point is, I mean, the second unit, I, like – Iguodal and Livingston is about as good of a one-two punch as you can get. So you're really seven deep already in this rotation. David West had a pretty good year last year. I'm worried about their big man backup situation because you got West, who might be, you know, he's 36 and might, you know, hit a wall at some point. Um, Anderson Vergeau, I think he's a, you know, the Warriors brought him back. Curry really likes him, but we saw in the finals, I don't think he's ready to contribute on a good team anymore. Um, so. I think that's where the concern lies. But as far as wings and, and the way you can kind of mix and match and get, you know, Durant a lot of minutes with the second unit, Curry at times, Thompson, Draymond Green. I mean, they're, they're, they're probably have the best top seven I can remember in recent history. And then I don't think eight, nine, ten are too much of a worry, uh, especially if David West can be decent this year. I, I do think the only way, not the only way, but I think one way that teams are going to try to play Golden State is to try to mix it up. I mean, I think they'll try to be real physical, Real tough, uh, make it one of these knock. Like, I can see the Clippers doing a lot of that, like trying to make it a street fight out there and hope that the lack of size uh, has an impact on Golden State. Yeah, and, you know, when maybe you get ramped up at times, maybe that affects their shot because, I mean, that's the big thing. They can just rattle off four straight threes, 12 0 runs in a flash from, from basically, uh, you know, any spot on their roster in a sense. So, that, that'll probably be, especially in a playoff series, I, that's tough to do in just like mid-January when you're just showing up at Oracle and, and, and how are you really going to get juiced up for 48 minutes to, to knock them around. But, you know, in a playoff series, if you're a Greg Popovich or Doc Rivers or whatever, I think it is going to be to just batter them around, hope the refs don't call the game tight, hope they get frustrated, hope there's maybe a Draymond like mini meltdown on the sideline, um, and then hope you just they just miss some shots. I think you're just going to need – you know, two of the three guys to really be off on most nights to beat him. What did you make of the the questions and the answer by Durant uh, on the tweet that he put out? Uh, what was it back six years ago when LeBron yeah. went to uh, to Miami? Basically, to paraphrase that, you know, like why is he doing this? Why are guys teaming up? Why don't you go try to beat somebody? 
Uh, you know, Durant was like, look, I was in a different place, and, and, and I get all that. But what did you make of, of his response to that question? I think it was just like kind of, you know, that Twitter account, Old Takes Exposed, yeah. I think it's called. Where it was just kind of one of those where it's like you get caught up and like, yeah, when I was six years ago, I, you know, everyone's probably kind of tweeted something they regret. or uh, No, you absolutely. Know, <laughs> five years from now, you know, I could, Patrick McCaw, I don't think this is going to be the case. But let's say Patrick McCaw's out of the league, yet I tweeted something about like, this guy's a future all-star. Like, mm-hmm. I think it's I think it's just something like that where I don't think he expected the question at the time. And, and because it is something that he tweeted, he's kind of backed into a corner about it. So I think the only thing he could say basically is, hey, guys, I'm mature. Uh, I wish I didn't say that, but, you know, you found it. Everyone found it. So. Do, you, do you think that, you know, being around him now and having been around him in the past, is, is he – I mean, is he, does he seem happier? Is, do you think he? this is, like, at this point he's at peace kind of with this decision? Yeah, I think he just, you know, I think he needed a, a little bit of a change. I think that's maybe been an undertold story of this. If, you know, because a lot of what he said was, oh, this is a basketball move. And obviously, like, he went to a really good basketball situation and he was not going to do that. But I think it was for his life, too. Um, I just think... You know, he, he's a single guy that's 27 that's kind of become more curious about life in general. I mean, you see some of the tattoos he's been getting lately. Mm-hmm. He's kind of, I don't know, like midlife crisis is not the right word, but he's just like, he's kind of a freer spirit. When you talk to him about this stuff now, he, he, he talks about being happy. And, you know, I, I just off to the side, not in interview settings, I've talked to him a little bit since he's been out here about the Bay Area. And he's like, yeah, yeah man, I'm so excited. I feel like I can't even get to all the things around here. It's such a big area. Um, so I just think that he's just enjoying a, a new, you know, adventure out here. And, and part of that is also playing basketball with, with guys he likes playing with. And one of the crazy things, too, at least I think, is that he could still win an MVP with the Warriors. I mean, people, when he signed on with Golden State, I think a lot of people just sort of quickly said, well, all right, it's the end of the MVP runs for, for Curry and Durant. They, they can't do it anymore. Let's say Curry goes down for like 10 games, just with an ankle injury or something like that, to sit out, and Durant steps in and, and is still, and finishes the season as one of the best scores, great numbers, and Golden State wins 70 games. I mean, that's, it's going to be hard to, to not cast your ballot for a player like that in a team that's so successful. Yeah, I mean, he's just that top, top-tier talent where it doesn't matter if he goes to the 73 team. We just saw it in the Olympics. I mean, they, you know, he's not that every star, you know, a lot of guys didn't play, but that was still a team of, like, 12 All-Stars, and it was pretty clear, like, okay, this, you know, Durant is the cream of this team. Uh, he rose to the top, clearly the best player. I'm not, you know, Curry changes that equation a little bit, and maybe they cannibalize each other's votes, but, you know, people talk about the narrative that Russell Westbrook has around himself right now. If he has a really big year and the, and the Thunder win 50 games, how he'll just kind of have that storyline that'll maybe push him to MVP that he, you know, he stayed with this team. Well, I think Durant potentially could have this little narrative for the MVP, which is like he kind of defiantly went to Golden State and 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 rose up and kind of maybe took over the team in a sense of not not like emotionally, but you know. I, like you said, I wouldn't be shocked if he just if you just watch this team this year and you're like, you know, Kevin Durant's the best player on this team. I mean, not to rip on Curry, but you know, maybe Curry just takes a step back. I think Durant is because of what everyone said is going to come out and really try to you know exert his will and and show that hey, I'm not riding coattails. I'm going to be a star on this team. How would you describe the the, the media atmosphere? around this team right now? Because I, I think I'm one of, like, three national reporters who didn't move out there and are not living in the Bay yeah. Area right now. Well, the, you know, Media Day was media day was big, but it wasn't, like, that frantic. Nobody said anything crazy. 
and then to be honest, the last week, like I know a lot of guys moved out here, but there hasn't been that many people at practice. I, you know, the Bay Area is interesting in a sense of there's a lot going on right now. The yep. Giants are like just got in the playoffs. They've, they've kind of been collapsing. They're a big story. Obviously, right down the road, Colin Kaepernick and the Niners have been a major story for the last few weeks. The Raiders are pretty good. Um, so, I mean, it's it's preseason week one. I know how ramped up it's going to be once the season starts, and you know, especially if, if anything crazy goes on with the team as far as potential protesting or you know, you know if they win a lot of games in a row or, or things aren't going well, it'll be crazy. So there are going to be times when it's a circus around the team, but it really hasn't been one weekend. Um, the Vancouver trip, there was a lot of people there, but, you know, it, it was kind of a friendly atmosphere except when Durant caught the ball in isolation. Then there was booing. Is this, uh, is this David West protest going to become a thing? I don't think so. Um, he, West actually talked to us at practice today. I'm talking on a Monday, and, like, he was, like, really eloquent. Oh, he's awesome. He's awesome. Speaking about it. Yeah, he was great talking about basically, you know, I don't think he even wanted it to become a thing. Um, you, you can't even really tell. I was looking at the line, and I, didn't, I, I even, like, tweeted out, like, oh, it doesn't look like anyone on the Warriors is doing anything irregular. Um, so, you know, Wes talked about I don't think it'll become a thing because, I mean, he's not doing it. Number one, he's not doing it, like, so clearly that if you put the camera on him, you can tell. And then, two, every time he talks about it, you're like, wow, this guy's just, like, super intelligent and uh, respectful but also – can really articulate his point well. Yeah, I mean, plus he's been doing it for five years, apparently, and nobody noticed what was going on out there. Exactly. It's crazy. Uh, Anthony, I appreciate the time, my friend. I'll uh, catch up with you down the road. Sounds good, Chris. Thanks for having me. That's it. My thanks to both Bobby Marks and Anthony Slater for joining the show. As always, you can download this podcast and other archive podcasts on iTunes, TuneIn, Stitcher, really anywhere you can download podcasts. While you're there, check out the Vertical Podcast with J.J. Reddick and the Vertical Podcast with Woj. Don't forget, if you like this episode and if you like this podcast in general, feel free to give us a rating, leave a comment. You know I appreciate it. We'll see you next week. This has been a digital media production. Find your voice. At Bet365, we don't do ordinary. We believe that every sport should be epic. Every home run, every hit, every inning, every play. From the moments that are legendary to the ones that fly under the radar. Whether it's a walk-off grand slam or a base hit to center field. Whatever the sport, whatever the moment. It's never ordinary at Bet365. 21 plus only must be present in Ohio. If you or someone you know has a gambling problem and wants help, call 1-800-GAMBLER. I'm Katia Adler, host of The Global Story. Over the last 25 years, I've covered conflicts in the Middle East, political and economic crises in Europe, drug cartels in Mexico. Now I'm covering the stories behind the news all over the world in conversation with those who break it. Join me Monday to Friday to find out what's happening why and what it all means. Follow the global story from the BBC wherever you listen to podcasts. Zumo Play is your destination for endless entertainment. With a diverse lineup of 350 plus live channels, movies and full TV series, you'll easily find something to watch right away. And the best part? It's all free. Love music? Get lost in the 90s with iHeart 90s. Dance away with hip-hop beats and more on the iHeart Radio music channels. No logins, no signups, no accounts, no hassle. 
So what are you waiting for? Start streaming at play.xumo.com or download from the app and Google Play stores today. All you can stream with Zumo Play. Xfinity has free premium networks for everyone this month, no matter what kind of entertainment you love. Addicted to true crime? Catch killer cases and more spine-tingling shows on A&E Crime Central. Crave adventure? Explore Asian action movies on Hayah. Searching for something extreme? Check out skating, snowboarding, and more on Fuel TV Plus, the global home of action sports. And find crowd-pleasing bops on iHeartRadio's Hit Nation playlist. There's new free shows and movies to love every week. Say free this week in your Xfinity voice remote.